The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USC is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio. Coming to you after USC's uh, performance in the 2020 signing day, early signing day in December. We are going to have a car cast to react to USC's 78th ranked class nationally and 12th in the Pac-12. As always, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, or Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansatta.com. And our phone number is 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Dertel. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. What a day. What a day it was. Yeah. Uh, quite the day. Liverpool gets a big 2-1 win over Monterey in the uh, Club World Cup. That's got to feel good for you. If you didn't believe in Liverpool-USC transferency then or transference or whatever my theory is called then i think today definitively proved the transference property between usc and liverpool like definitively it definitively sure definitively liverpool is tied 1-1 with monterey a team that is vastly inferior to them but liverpool is playing with a makeshift backline and it's 1-1 going into the 90th minute. I'm not watching the game because I'm watching Justin Flo getting ready to make his announcement between USC, Oregon, uh, Clemson, and Miami. Justin Flo reaches for the Oregon hat, puts it on. I'm busy publishing on RadioTro.com the article that we put up about how he picked Oregon, and not 30 seconds later, Bobby Firmino comes through with a last-minute winner for Liverpool to move them into the finals. Of the Club World Cup. Wow. I mean, it's real, guys. It's real. Justin Flo picks Oregon. Liverpool wins. And SC fails at uh, fake signing day. <laughs> and Liverpool uh, succeeds wins. at the fake World Cup. Yeah. Exa- well, no, quite literally, yes. Correct descriptions there, Michael. Uh, correct, correct descriptions. But, I mean... I mean, this is the only way I can talk about what USC is right now, is by comparing them to Liverpool and how Liverpool's success means USC's failure 
And USC is definitely living up to their end of the bargain when it comes to the failure side of things. Well, I'll tell you what doesn't fail. Uh, us, Radio Radio, because we are putting together a Holiday Bowl meetup on December 6th, 6 p.m. at the local eatery and watering hole in San Diego, downtown San Diego, the gas lamp area, 1065 4th Avenue. We'll be there, 6 p.m., Boxing Day, the day before USC and Iowa meet in the Holiday Bowl. Come by, stop by, say hi, uh, talk to us, talk to other USC fans, other Rotbots, and uh, hang out, have a drink, have a bite to eat, whatever you want. It'll be a uh, fun time. Yeah, just come out and vent, basically, right? Or, you know, we don't have to talk football either. We can just sort of talk. By then, it should be safe to to talk Star Wars. So I'll be down to talk Star Wars. Uh, If you want to talk soccer with me, I'll talk soccer. And if we must, if we must, I guess, we will discuss USC and the Holiday Bowl and recruiting and failure. Let's just get into it. We'll take a quick break. The mood of this podcast. Yeah. Well, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back and get into the news of this thing. We'll be right back. All right, Alicia. USC woke up early. Wednesday morning, not in a good position. At the bottom of the Pac-12, looking to move up with the hopes of going after a big board ripe with elite talent, guys like Justin Flo, Bryce Young, Elias Ricks, B. John Robinson, uh, Gary Bryant Jr., Darian Green-Warren, L.V. Bunkley-Shelton. So many dudes that USC was going after. I'm just going to get straight to it. They got none of them. Mind you, yeah, Gary Bryant one. and, and Darian Green-Warren are going to decide at the Army, uh, sorry, no longer the artist formerly known as the Army All-American Bowl in San Antonio in a couple of weeks. Uh, so they weren't going to get announced anyways, but um, Ellie uh, Bunkley-Shelton did not sign with anybody either. But Justin Flo picks Oregon. Bryce Young, former USC commit who had flipped to Alabama, and suddenly people thought he might be still in the mix for USC right at the death. Still signs with Alabama. Elias Ricks, uh, it was always going to be a Hail Mary for SC to pull him back from LSU. He signs with the Tigers as expected. And B. John Robinson, someone who, uh, five-star running back out of Tucson, USC was still trying to finagle something there, couldn't get it done. He signs with the Texas Longhorns as he was previously committed. And so the only new person in this class for USC is three-star defensive tackle Tuli Tui Pelotu. And if you know that name, you might think it sounds familiar. And that's because it does. It's Marlon's little brother making him the little fish if Marlon's the big fish. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that works, I suppose. Um yeah, it it was a dud of a of a day, wasn't it? Like getting to lead to Pulo two is nice. Um, the players that USC brought in all nice, but you know uh, all of the big hitters that USC might have landed just fell flat, really. And we went into this into this signing day saying, well, okay, so USC is ranked like seventy something, whatever. 
12th or 11th in the Pac-12, but they can they can t- take a giant leap if they land a couple of big hitters on early signing day. So we looked at it and thought, okay, this class isn't going to be great no matter what, um, but they can salvage this. They really can salvage this. And the problem for USC... They can salvage that- some of it. They, they weren't going to salvage all of it. But that you could salvage it to a point where it's not like an utter disaster, right? So, like, if you're a top uh, I 30... I mean, pe- people thought last year's class was a disaster. So. Well, uh, last year's class, you know, spoiler alert, wasn't actually a disaster. It was just a down year. That happens. Um, but you well, can write off last year. it was a disaster by year's... USC standards at the time. And now, clearly, that was a great recruiting class in well, comparison to this. That recruiting class also ended up including Chris Steele and Brew McCoy. And, and sure. so it looks a little different, right? So, I mean, either way, either way, a top 25 class is nothing to scoff at. It's well below USC standards, unquestionably. But like one class that you slip down towards 20, that you can just sort of brush off and say, okay, you know what? It happens. You went five and seven. What were you expecting? The problem is that 2019, you know, you could then get into like top 30 and say, well, you know, again, with the... That USC played the entire season where everyone assumed that Clay Helton was going to going to get fired. So this, so the circumstances around the program are not super conducive to recruiting super well. So sort of understandable. But top thirty is still within a range where you say, okay, this isn't going to bury USC in terms of like roster situation for you know the next couple of years, right? That's if you get into the top thirty, which USC very well could have done. Uh, today on on early signing day, or at least set themselves up to do uh, with an early sign, signing day showing that then set themselves up for a, for a February signing day where they could then put on the finishing touches. Now, now um, the finishing touches in February are going to maybe possibly hopefully get this club, get this, get this one up into the, I mean, are we even like talking top 50? Top 50. I mean... Top 50. Just think about that for a second. USC right now is ranked 78th nationally, 12th in the Pac-12. 12th means Oregon State's out recruiting them, Washington State out recruiting them, Cal. By a significant margin. Colorado, Utah, Arizona. I can keep naming more schools. You, you literally uh, have to name them USC all. at this point. I, I know, I know, I know. Can you name every Pac-12 school? If so, you know every school that's ahead of USC in recruiting. I think right I've now. done pretty well in that Sporkle quiz, to be honest. But um, <laughs> I, I think the one that that shocks me more than anything: USC has one four-star recruit, one, and it's Jonah Monheim, who at one point he was he was number eight hundred and sixty when he committed to USC, a three-star. So none of USC's uh, signees, and SC signs 11 players on Wednesday, none of them put their name in USC's hat for for sure, uh, either as a commit or a signee or, or what have you, with a four-star next to their name. Monheim became one, but he, he wasn't a four-star to boot. Well, Joshua Jackson was one, but he's since fallen out okay, of that, that's fair. that ranking. That's fair. That's fair. And I, and to be fair, USC fair. picked up some of the the uh, offensive line recruits that USC picked up are are the kind of offensive line recruits who have sort of the size and physical presence that that made them intriguing early in their recruitment. So like, um, uh, you know, Co- uh, Cortland Ford was a. I don't know if we'd term him a four star, but like in the in the twenty four seven sports 
the composite, the way that they do like the the numerals, he was like a point nine four or point nine two at some point. So like some of these guys were, I think Jamar Sakona was was in a similar vein where he was like a point nine plus kind of guy early on, and then he sort of fell. So I mean, I don't I don't know if what I'm saying there is good. <laughs> like I don't know if that's supposed to be good news. Uh, but at the very least, like USC does have a, a few guys who were at one time considered four stars. So uh, at least it, that is sugarcoating. Maybe? Something doesn't need to be sugarcoated here. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> SC's highest ranked recruit, Jonah Monheim, is 350th nationally. He's 26th in California, which means USC has zero commitments from anyone in the top 25 of California. Last year, we were freaking out. And talking about how USC's class was going to be brutal because, you know, they, they might not have everybody in the top five. They don't have anyone in the top 25. Yeah. Right now. now like, that, that to, is to just caveat, mind-boggling. To caveat that, um, the crystal balls for Gary Bryant Jr. right now are all pointing towards USC. And he is number seven in California. So, like, USC is likely to finish with one in the top 25. But, like, again, we're sugarcoating... What do they call it? Like putting lipstick on a pig? Like sure, one yeah. one in the top 25 is still well below, well, well, well below what USC normally should be looking at. And that's the failure of this class. The failure of this class isn't who USC signed because I said this in the, in the little um, snap take that I did for Patreon earlier today or earlier on Wednesday that, you know, all of the players that USC signed, I can make a case for all of them. Uh, more or less. I think there are some decent prospects there with some really good upside. And so, like, it's nothing against those guys. Those guys aren't the problem. The problem is that all the guys that USC missed on. If you get those 11 guys and then, you know, four or five really elite prospects, then your class is looking okay, especially coming out of the circumstances that USC was. It's just that it's so rare that we've seen USC utterly whiff the way that they did in this class. we I mean, how many years going back have we seen USC? And last year, USC didn't finish super strong, but the early signing period kind of threw a wrench in everything, so it was kind of hard to, to gauge things. But in the past, USC has come into signing day not certain how they were going to finish and just hitting home runs out of the park. Like the the year that USC got uh, Juju and Adori and I think Rasheem Green was in that class too. It's just like it was all signing day, like huge hitters. Where this time around, it's just like every single target that we looked at as this is a guy that could help USC salvage this class. Lo and behold, within the within the last few days, like crystal balls are pointing towards Oregon or ASU or Michigan or wherever. And you're looking at it going like USC, their excuse for not starting their bowl prep earlier was because they had all their coaches out on the recruiting trail and focusing on finishing strong with this class. And then to do that. Uh, yeah, it's it's not going to cut it. It's just flat out not going to cut it. Yeah, it's 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 definitely not. And, you know, you mentioned that it's not the guys who are in the class that's a problem. And I, we've talked about this before. You, you know, every class that USC puts together has three stars. And this class right now, 11 guys currently in it, currently signed, zero five stars, one four star, 10 three stars. Those 10 three-stars are the same 10 three-stars that they get every year. It really is that lack of, of four- and five-star talent. And 
you know, I was just using the the calculator uh, over at 24-7 Sports. And if you add, just naming guys off the top of your head, right, that SC could have tried to land in this class. Uh, Justin Flo, Bryce Young, Elias Ricks, uh, Gary Bryant Jr., who they still have a chance with, obviously. Miles Morrow, uh, Darian Green-Warren, and Bunkley Shelton. You all had all of these, guys. by the way, all of these, by the way, are guys that USC led in the crystal ball in the 24-7 sports crystal ball at, at some, some point. point during their recruitment. Yeah. They had a commitment from Bryce Young for a long time, right? Now, if you add all those guys to the class, their score takes them all the way to number 14 in the country. Number 14. And that's only adding, you know, not that many dudes. One, two, three... Seven guys, adding seven guys to be, be to get to a class of 18. Which and is around 18, the number that USC is probably looking at. Yeah, and 18 is lower than, you know, most schools at that point anyway. Yeah. So it's not the 10 stars. It's the lack of four stars, the lack of five stars. Uh, that That is the problem with this class. And, you know, you wanted SC to, you know, I, th- I thought you had a good tweet earlier that, you know, I had kind of written off Justin Flo for a long time. I didn't think that SC was going to have any chance with him. You know, then all of a sudden, the week of signing day, there's crystal balls coming in his favor for SC. And, and you know, people tweeting very cryptic things about USC being in there. Uh, and suddenly it made it seem like SC actually had a chance. Uh, they didn't at the end of the day because they, they ultimately did not get his signature. But if you would have told me, you know, a, a month ago, that SC was not going to get Justin Flo, Bryce Young, Elias Ricks, uh, or B. John Robinson, I'd be like, yeah, of course not. They, they've already gotten no's from those guys uh, based on their top fives and their top threes and their top whatevers, uh, or in Bryce Young's case, decommitting USC and flipping to Alabama. It's just SC gets to the end here, and they make their little bit of a run slightly, but it was all a, a, a teaser rally. And after being a Cubs fan my entire life, there's nothing worse than a teaser rally, right? Well, but that's the thing is is that it's it's not missing out on any one of those guys. USC, even at their strongest in recruiting, has missed out on the occasional big guy. Like, you know, losing Jalen Ramsey, losing Manti Teo, losing all right. of these guys that USC has, has lost in the past. D'Anthony Thomas, yeah. I mean, D'Anthony Thomas, um, name Perfect. a quarterback from the last five years, and USC probably missed out on him. KJ Costello, who's in the transfer portal now, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, Matt Corral, good old Matt Corral and those dudes. But uh, either way, th- th- that didn't stop USC from having a strong recruiting class. The problem is that USC right. didn't get any of those guys. It's not yep. losing Justin Flo, although losing Justin Flo to Oregon is a big deal. Losing Justin Flo to Clemson is a bummer. Losing Justin Flo to Oregon, where he's going to go join uh, Penae Sewell and Kayvon Thibodeau and the other 50,000 USC misses or skips over that are powering Oregon's team right now um, to, to, to help them win, you know, be, be the contender in the Pac-12, that's a problem for USC. Letting Oregon come into your backyard and take the top recruit in California twice in a row is a problem for USC, not just in terms it's of the individuals. It's not just SC, though. I, well, I, UCLA. Like, it's embarrassing for UCLA, too. Yeah. Because if, you know, if you're UCLA, if, if Justin Flo and Kayvon Thibodeau, two, you know, generational-type talents on defense out of Southern California, 
are going to be available and USC doesn't sign them, you damn well sure better make sure that you do. Yeah, and I mean, they didn't UCLA. Like, like both of them, both schools missing is just mind boggling. UCLA recruiting is, they have their own issues. They have their own problem. And UCLA. But they're not ranked 12th in the Pac-12. Well, uh, well, the, the, the issue for UCLA is that Oregon is the one, Oregon and Washington are cleaning up and ASU is cleaning up in this, in the Southern California area with USC down. UCLA should be taking advantage of USC being down and they're not. Um, they obviously are in a much better recruiting position than USC this year, which says more about where USC is than where UCLA is. Uh, but that's that's the the bigger issue is that neither of these schools seems like they're taking advantage of their fertile recruiting ground. And when you're USC, it's extra frustrating because you're you're not fighting the little brother syndrome that that UCLA has. You are the big dog in Southern California, and you're not asking you're not acting like it. And the bigger problem for me, uh, this is something that again I said on on Patreon, and I'll reiterate here. USC, the whole USC recruits itself thing only applies when USC is winning. USC recruits itself to a certain point. USC recruiting itself is what allowed it to have a foot in the door for Justin Flo on the last day when by all other rights, he should have had USC not even on the table. Uh, That's USC recruiting itself. But you still do need some juice from somewhere else. And that juice needs to come from your overall success and confidence in the program. And I think this recruiting class if nothing else, says everything about the confidence that that recruits don't have in where USC's at. I don't think it's a coincidence, and I don't think anyone c- could argue with this, that the players that USC adds in this class are all three-star guys who are in that um, sort of mold of USC's probably their best offer or best committable offer, or they are family of USC players or both like that that these are the guys who are going to come to USC these are the USC recruits itself kind of guys these are the guys who are going to come to USC regardless of who the head coach was regardless who the recruiter was regardless of of anything the fact that they got the that they got the offer brought them to USC it's the other guys you got to convince to be on your side that USC missed on and and the fact that USC can't convince those guys that they're stable enough and productive enough to put those players in the in the best position is is a scary scary thought. Because if I'm Elias Ricks, if I'm Elias Ricks, I look at the what LSU has done with their cornerbacks over the past few years, and I say, hell yeah, I'm going to LSU. Right. Yeah. And if I'm Justin Flo, and I'm looking at where you know Ena Teote or Solomon Tule Pupu are at this stage in their career. I'm looking at Oregon going, yeah, no, I'll go to Oregon. That's that's the, the very, very, very big problem. Yeah, 100%. Uh, SC needs to get better on the field um, and, and get better everywhere. Uh, and that, that all affects recruiting, and recruiting affects that. It, it goes hand in hand. Uh, it, it, they're all pegs on a, on, a, on a flywheel, you know? It, it all affects everything. And SC needs to get better in all those aspects by getting better in the other parts of that flywheel. Uh, let's talk about the the guys USC did sign. Let's run down this list really quick. I uh, start with four-star offensive guard, Jonah Mon- Monheim, uh, the 13th ranked offensive guard in the class 6'5", 280 at Amore Park. 
Uh, he is now the 350th ranked recruit, USC's pride and joy of this recruiting class. Yeah, at six, the fun thing about Jonah Monheim is that at 6'5", 280, he's the runt of the litter of this offensive line <laughs> group. Uh, but he's a he's a, a guy that, we, you know, you could see coming in and vying for a, a role for USC at guard. And that's the interesting thing this year is that um, USC could lose Elijah Vera Tucker to, uh, to the NFL. It's possible. Uh, either way, I think Jalen McKenzie is going to slide out to tackle with Drew Richmond gone. So uh, there should be one guard spot open and maybe Andrew Voorhees takes that spot and then it's, you know, simple, done and dusted. But someone like Jonah Monheim, if he came in, hit the ground running, uh, could be a really interesting guy that that uh, makes a big impression early. It's just a bummer that he's not going to early enroll. So we're not going to get to see him until the summer. Uh, and that's going to probably limit his ability to, to do, to you know, hit the ground running the way that you might want. But uh, he's, you know, he's a, a rising star for a reason. He's He's got the size, the athleticism, the uh, motor, the skill, the technique, all that kind of stuff that makes him intriguing. Yeah, we'll see what he can do on USC's offensive line. Uh, next up, Josh Jackson, three-star wide receiver out of uh, Narbonne. Rest in peace, Gauchos. Uh, <laughs> six foot, 179 pounds, and Clay Helton talked about him on Wednesday and compared him to Robert Woods. Which is interesting because Robert Woods was the glue guy of the 2010 class, a five-star, all-everything recruit. And here's Josh Jackson, ranked uh, 432nd nationally. Yeah, that's high praise for Josh Jackson um, with the comparison to Robert Woods. I don't. I think we can all agree he probably doesn't have that kind of ceiling. But we've seen USC get a lot of production out of, out of uh, wide receivers, regardless of, of what their star ranking is. I mean, Deontay Burnett came in and just sort of fit right in. And did his stuff, so uh, maybe Josh Jackson's able to do that. For now, I think it's it's good that USC gets another wide receiver just to continue to fill up that depth. I know that there's like the perception that USC doesn't need wide receivers, and that's fair because USC has a wealth of quality, but the quantity, the numbers is still very low. Uh, so every wide receiver that USC brings in is a guy who will have a chance to contribute, but most of all, early on in his career. Just having another body in there will be a, a big help. Yep, and SC will have a Josh Jackson. And a John Jackson at wide receiver, and also a Marlon Tui Pelotu and a Tuli Tui Pelotu. Uh, no relation on the Jackson brothers, uh, but there is relation between the Tui Pelotu brothers, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, three star Tuli uh, out of Lawndale High, uh, California State champs, state bowl champs last year. Uh, the brother of Marlon, 24 tackles for loss and nine sacks in 2018. Uh, he is the 43rd ranked defensive tackle in the class, and he's who USC added on Wednesday. Yeah, so 24-7 sports lists him as a, a defensive tackle, but Clay Helton referred to him as an edge rusher. Uh, his profile at you know, 6'3", 266, sure sounds more like a guy that USC would use on the outside, although maybe he's got, uh, if, if he's got a build similar to his brother, he could put on some some pounds there and, and work on the inside, but kind of expecting him to start out on the outside at the very least, but yeah, you, you referenced we, we. I couldn't find any 2019 numbers for him, uh, but the 24 tackles for loss and nine sacks in 2018. That's that's not not bad, not bad at all. So something decent to work with there, and another guy that uh, is is going to be able to get a bolster bodies down on that defensive line. Yeah, and two more guys on that defensive line that USC gets are Jamar Sakona and Kobe Pepe. 
both three stars. Sakona out of uh, Marin Catholic up in Northern California. And Brandon Huffman said that he plays with power and suddenness, but too often relies strictly on his size and strength as a high motor and doesn't take many plays off. Uh, so he's someone who may- maybe has some upside that can, you know, develop. That's what you'd want out of three stars. And Kobe Pepe, first team all namer, gotta say, out of uh, St. John Bosco. Yeah, let, let's start with Sakona. I, I like that description from Brandon Huffman because it kind of, you can apply it to pretty much all the big men in USC's class because USC wasn't going after the big, elite, uh, polished big men on the offensive and defensive lines. What they've ended up with is just a bunch of raw talents. So USC was was abiding by the by the the old saying that you can't teach size, you can't teach height, you can't teach, you know, you can't teach 303 pounds coming out of high school. So uh, Sakona is that guy. And I guess the big question for USC is when you bring in a class like this, you sure as hell better prove that you can develop these guys because that's something that we aren't sure about when it comes to USC at this point. So these are guys that uh, you know could could be diamonds in the rough, but there's some rough there that, that you're going to have to polish up. Uh, either way, Jamar Sakona, 6'2", 303, you got plenty to work with there. Uh, Kobe Pepe, I agree, great, great name. And my favorite thing about Kobe Pepe is the way that you can make a comparison between him and Raylan Goforth in the sense that he was the lineman MVP for the Trinity League uh, this past season uh, at St. John Bosco. And that is no that is no no joke. The Trinity League is one of the best leagues in the country uh, at the high school level. And for Kobe Pepe to be the defensive lineman of the year, essentially, in that league is is says a lot about what he's capable of doing, just like Raylan Goforth, another three star linebacker that USC brought in last year that wasn't necessarily getting the recruiting hype. But you can sort of see in his uh, spring and, and fall camp showings what he brings to the table is just like a football player. Uh, so I like that about Kobe Pepe, and I've got pretty high hopes for him uh, coming in and, and being able to to sit and develop and, and grow, but eventually establish himself as a potential starter for USC down the line. Uh, especially when you look at in, in 2019, uh, 74 tackles, 12.5 tackles for loss, 11 of those were sacks. Pretty decent numbers going up against college-level uh, offensive linemen, usually across the across the way. Yeah, and speaking of offensive linemen, let's get to them. Uh, Cortland Ford, three-star out of Cedar Hill, Texas. Uh, if that sounds familiar, it should. That's where Sed Ware is from. He was an LSU commit in 2018, and back then he was as high as ranked 160th nationally. He's now 689 nationally. Uh, but Cortland Ford, uh, not only another great all-neighbor team guy, but uh, someone who brings a wealth of size, 6'6", 305. Uh, and then let's just run down these offensive linemen. Caden Steven, three-star out of uh, uh, Camas, Washington. Uh, three-star lineman Casey Collier, 6'7", 300 pounds, out of Mont Bellevue, Texas, just east of Houston. Again, size and upside, the name of the game there. Uh, Andrew Milik, 6'6", 295, out of Brophy Prep uh, here in uh, Midtown Phoenix. Uh, and then Andres DeWerk. 67297 out of Los Gatos. Uh someone who Brandon Huffman says is best at run blocking but still relatively new to the offensive line and has plus natural skills that he develops from being raw and has quote tremendous upside. 
So all these guys are huge on the offensive line. And, you know, you said that Jonah Monheim is the, the runt of the litter. That's because these dudes are massive. Yeah, like like you said, the size, 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 upside, 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 upside. All of these tackles that USC is bringing in, that's what they're banking on. Size doesn't necessarily matter if you want it hard enough. <laughs> exactly. We were joking in the Slack channel uh, on Patreon on Wednesday that um, writing up the the you know articles talking about all of these for for the website, all of these players, it was like. They're all basically the same player. I'm running out of sort of ways to describe each one because they all sort of fit the same kind of mold. And what it comes down to for all of them is is very simple. Well, I guess we'll see. So uh, like I said earlier, I can make a case for all of these guys being really intriguing prospects that USC could potentially hit big on. Uh, Cortland Ford, 6'6", 305, kid out of Texas. Both of the Texas guys, Casey Collier and Cortland Ford, those are Southern kids. Like... Those are the guys where they you, you talk about they're like built different. That's the kind of guy that you talk about. So they could be bringing... Texas isn't the South. It's just Texas. It's still Texas. Texas football. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you were just in Texas, so you know. I, I, I know. I, I yeah. can say this as a as a as a Texas visitor. Yeah these these kids are out there eating Texas barbecue. It's just it's just something different that's in the water down there, and uh, or over there, I suppose. So uh, I think they're very, very intriguing guys. And Cortland Ford specifically, you mentioned he was an LSU commit. He's another guy where he's ranked 689th nationally now. But like when when he started, like 2018, 2017, he was considered a four star, potentially elite recruit. Now, why does he end up at USC in the situation that he's in now? I I don't know. Uh, There was there was some talk that maybe he would have like injury problems, but then I guess maybe the injury problems are, are overblown or something like that. I don't know what caused him to fall in terms of the of the recruiting rankings, but he clearly has fallen. And maybe USC has a uh, is in a position now where they can take advantage of that, take advantage of a guy falling off the radar, but still possessing those skills that made him a coveted target uh, to the point where LSU and Alabama and all the SEC schools were giving him offers when he was a sophomore and junior in high school. So these are the kind of things that that you look for. Cortland Ford uh, delivers on that. Casey Collier, another guy, six seven, three hundred pounds. You can't teach size. And the the only concern I think that I have here is that we know you can't teach size, but I'm skeptical of USC's ability to teach all the other things that make you a great you know alignment in in the end. So right. this is going to be the 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 big put up or shut up kind of moment for USC. Um, uh, Caden Stephen spells his name. Interestingly, uh, but he's also an interesting prospect at 6'5", 295. Uh, Brandon Huffman, uh, he's the only one where you don't hear anything. Uh, you know, uh, Brandon Huffman says that he doesn't have a lot of physical upside, um, but he gives him huge props for his uh, his his shape and his footwork and, and his hands and, and playing low and all of these things. So uh, Caden Steven is a is an interesting prospect that USC has ranked uh, 720th nationally. And but by the way, Brandon Huffman's from Twenty Four Seven Sports. We yes, have not and all the enough here, and all the rankings that we we default to the composite, the Twenty Four Seven Sports composite. So anytime yep. we're talking about a ranking like uh, Andrew Malek being one thousand two hundred twenty fifth nationally, that's the Twenty Four Seven Sports composite ranking. Um, which again, you know, Malek and Dework are twelve hundred kind of kind of prospects and and maybe that means that they are 
potential, you know, just you're hoping to hit it out of the park by getting somebody who brings the size to the table and then you work that, you know, ball of clay into into something. So intriguing, certainly. No sure things there, but no sure duds there, if that's sort of the, the way well, that I can... This is this is the same thing we say every year about three-star recruits. Yes. Uh, th- there's there's reasons that three-star recruits are, are signed, because they're, they're, they have upside. The reality is, for every Keaton Slovis, there's like four Matt Finks. What you need is a 30% hit rate, though. That's all you need. You're bringing in six offensive linemen... If two of them become steady starters for you and let's say another two are rotational guys, then you're actually in really good shape for a single recruiting class. Uh, USC needs to be careful not to overload in this class and then totally forget about the offensive line down the line when they have. That's where I'm going to push back, though. Like the only reason they have this many guys. And yes, if you if you we've always said if there's six that you're signing from a specific position there's going to be two that are better than you think, two that are worse than you think, and two that are just, you know, flip a coins, right? Like, just you play the, the numbers and it's always going to work out like that, right? There's probably going to be one of these guys that ends up getting hurt. That, that's just how it works, right? Uh, not everything works out and football is a, a cruel and, you know, annoying game a lot of the times, right? And so some of these guys are going to blossom, some aren't. That's just the name of the game. Uh, but SC takes six offensive linemen of six of the 11 signees are offensive linemen because they missed out on all the guys last year. And so, yeah, if, if two or three of these guys pan out and become starters, this was a successful class in a vacuum, just like we can sit here and say 2019 was successful in a vacuum if you look at what USC dealt with, with injuries and all that kind of stuff, but we can't judge Clay Helton in a vacuum, can we? We can't judge this class in a vacuum, can we? No. This class comes in the context of last year where they didn't get anyone on the offensive line uh, comparatively, and this class comes in the context of the last couple of offensive line classes where they missed on Penny Sewell, and they, they missed on... on Jonah from Narbonne last year and, and all those guys, right? Like this comes in the context of that. And you need to be able to have these three stars and, and pair them with the, the can't miss prospects or the odds on, you know, elite blue chippers. And so you have your guys that are high probability to succeed and your guys that are your diamond in the roughs and you mix them together and you join forces to have an offensive line that gets the best out of everybody. And USC's offensive line right now, looking forward, is putting all the eggs all the eggs in the basket of of guys who have high upside but need to be developed. And USC has not shown reliability um and trust to believe that they can be developed, all of them. One well, or two of them, sure. I, I will I will give you that. And that's not well, but that's certainly the problem, that's a, though. That, that's a knock it, it, on USC's coaching staff, right? If if this was if if USC if you took this class and gave it to Utah, you'd have much more confidence in yeah for sure in them doing something with these three star guys. Yeah, absolutely. So that is the I think I think there is there should be rightful skepticism about how this is going to work out for USC. This is where USC is. This is 
where they were sort of backed into. To be fair to USC, there weren't a ton of elite offensive line prospects in California uh, for this for this class. So that's why missing out on Miles Moreau is is such a a big problem for USC because he was the big sort of hitter uh, that USC really ha- should have been locked into. But either way, this is where USC finds themselves. So if they're going to have to, you know, make lemonade with the lemons that they, that they have, then they are set up to do so. But it will require follow through on the development thing. And if you're skeptical about USC's ability, about this coaching staff's ability to have that follow through, you are well within your rights to be skeptical. Uh, but it is also a situation where, you know, we can't necessarily control it. Right. So we just have to see how it all plays out. Yeah, and just uh, curious, what do you think Utah's worst recruiting class of this decade was? Rank? Ranked. Yeah, what, uh, what was the worst rank? USC is 78th right now. Uh, I'm going to go with 52nd. 66th, and only Ooh. one, I, I believe one, I, I, I just went through all of these, uh, of the last decade. 66th, and I believe one was beyond 50th. So, USC is yeah. 78th. Well, this is where uh, the the one saving grace for USC is that this is not the complete class. And they do have room to bring in another handful of players. The The problem is that all the five stars are already locked in and committed and signed. So you're sort of... I, I, I actually think this is a case of optimistic, Alicia. I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> USC will sign an additional five players, we imagine. I just I just couldn't tell you how good those players will be and how high uh they highly they will be able to lift uh this class i, I don't know I all don't right know. we're going to take a quick break come back and wrap this thing up talk about what this class means for USC this far and talk about Clay Helton's press conference we're right back All right, Alicia, let's get into the press conference. Uh, I know your favorite subject of all Do time. Do we have to? <sighs> Is it time for me to rant yet? Uh, it, it might be. Clay Hilton was, was asked um, some some tough questions. Uh, Ryan Abraham of USCFootball.com, for instance, asked him about you know USC's inability to uh, sign anyone in the top 25 of USC, uh, sorry, of the state of California's or uh, recruits. Clayton gave a lot of non-answers, um, and I have two responses to this. One, of course, he's not going to answer those things uh, as as satisfyingly as fans want them to be. Uh, and these are great questions, by the way. Ryan absolutely should have asked that question. One hundred percent. Those questions need to be asked. So don't don't take us saying that that Clay Helton's not going to answer the, the, the tough questions in a satisfying way as a way to say that those questions should not be asked. They absolutely should be asked, obviously. But I, what happens is Clay Helton answers these things because, one, I, a signing day press conference is always going to be a PR fest. Uh, it is the one press conference where you go up there and you talk about all the positives of the guys that you just signed. And how this is your 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 foundation for everything moving forward, and it's all positivity. Every single coach in America is telling you why their class is the best class they could have possibly signed in that moment. Every single one is telling you that. So that's one reason why Clay Helton's not going to get up there and fall on the sword. 
Uh, num- number two, he's not going to get up there and fall on the sword because he's got to back up the guys that he just signed. You know, because if, if you go out there and say, well, yeah, we wanted good players, but not the crappy guys that we signed. You know, I think that's what USC fans want to hear. And that's never, ever going to be a thing ever. And that, that, that has less to do with Clay Helton and more to do with what press conferences are. So, you know, the, the press conference ends up being a lot of a lot of words. And like I've said a million times at this point, why are people still getting up in arms about the words? They're just words. You know that they're going to be said. Like, you don't have to listen. Well, you don't have to take them seriously. Like, I just think people take people take it too seriously. What Clay Helton like, says. Like, what is he supposed to we say? Know, that, that's my thing. Clay Helton, we know who he is. We know what he is. Clay Hilton is not Mike Leach. He will never be Mike Leach. And you know what? Mike Leach does things the way that he wants to. It doesn't help him win football games. It doesn't lose him football games. It doesn't help him win football games. Mike Leach and Clay Hilton are both medium head coaches, regardless of the way that they approach media availability. One is a, a you know, raving jerk at times who just sort of like spouts off and talks about all the the uh, entitled players and this, that, and the other thing and, and throws people under the bus constantly. And the other one is, uh, you know, sweet talking. Everything is peachy keen and everything is perfect. And this is, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're shining a turd over here with, with Clay Hilton. It doesn't matter. Nick Saban isn't a great head coach because he's terse with the media, nor is Bill Belichick a great head coach because he's terse with the media nor is nor is Pete Carroll a great head coach because he's very media friendly like that's not the thing that determines the success of the head coach so what this is all to say like you said we're not saying that Clay Helton um shouldn't have to answer for these questions but we shouldn't be surprised when he answers the way he does I, I put this on Twitter the way USC fans react to Clay Helton at this point is like grabbing a, a toy doll with a little drawstring at the back, pulling the string and then getting pissed off that the thing always says, I've got a snake in my boot. Like, that's what the thing is going to say. When you pull the string, that's what the thing says. So guess what? When you ask Clay Helton the question about why he hasn't signed more top 25 uh, recruits from California, he's going to say, oh, you know, we focused on our needs and we we got the guys that we were that we, we were focused on the offensive line. And so the guys on the offensive line were, uh, and defensive line were what we were looking at. And, and we filled our needs. And then when he's pressed about it again, he talks about how, well, you know, it's a smaller class. And so we weren't going to have the big numbers in terms of the rankings going on and all that kind of stuff. This is just who he is. Like, I, I just I don't understand why it needs to be a uh, an indictment of his <laughs> failures as a head coach. Every time he opens his mouth, like we, it's just the way that he responds to things. And you can disagree with the way with the, the, the way that he tries to put a positive spin on everything. But like it's it's what he's going to do, because that's the tact that he takes. He's not going to go out there and, and trash anybody like that's never who Clay Hilton is, especially in a signing day press conference. Like, like, again, these things are basically PR. That, that's just, that's, that's what they are. I think any coach in America is going to give you just about the same, uh, the, the, the same answer. Um, uh, it, he's not going to fall on his sword about, you know, we, we just weren't good enough. And so we can't get, you know, better players and stuff like that. He absolutely needs to be asked these questions to be held accountable, but, but you, you just, he's not, that, the answers are not going to satisfy Joe USC fan 10 
well, on Twitter that's going to be just irate no matter what because that's the problem. That fan needs USC to win a game, and SC can't win a game until next Friday. But the pro- the problem is that he can fall on his sword, and it won't change the fact. But it won't change the outcome exactly. of the Holiday Bowl, right? Clay Hilton could have come out in front of the in, in front of that podium and said, fallen on his sword and said, yeah, you know what? We really dropped the ball here in recruiting. We need to we need to swing, uh, swing, aim higher and, and lock down all these recruits more firmly. He could have said that. And it's like he, it won't change the fact that he is who he is as a head coach and he is going to win or lose football games based on that. Not what he says in hold, front of the media. If, if he says that, people are mad that, well, why weren't you aiming that high in the first place? Well, yeah, like, exactly. So he he's can dem- say that's going to satisfy anybody. This, that's that's my big thing is that what people what will satisfy people is, is winning games. That's the one thing that yes. Clay Hilton got right. The one thing that Clay Hilton got right in this presser was he talked about how I'm not concerned with the rankings. I'm concerned with winning and losing games. And like that's the truth. If if Clay Helton's winning games, no one is looking at these press conferences and picking them apart. My point on this was that Clay Helton could come out and fall on his sword, and it wouldn't make it wouldn't make the difference. But the, he he's he's not obligated to fall on his sword either. And as much as we would like to hear him say those things, as much as it might calm people down, although I probably won't. As much as it as it might feel good to hear him acknowledge his failures as a head coach again that's not who clay hilton is he doesn't take that approach and you know what that's on him but no matter what question you throw at him and no matter how hard it is or how soft it is or however you're going to get the same answer so again i don't know why we even listen to like i'm it's part of my job to listen to to clay hilton speak and i i don't I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just weird. I just don't see the value in it, the way that people allow themselves to get riled up by it. Now, granted, I get riled up about tons of things that I shouldn't let myself get riled up about. So I'm a hypocrite. But whatever. Like, it's just it's. Yeah, hot plate. It's hot a plate. hot plate. Absolutely. It's a hot plate. Yeah. Don't touch the hot plate. Don't touch the hot plate at all. And again, like the thing that that really grinds my gears is the. The idea that you know that the media is just so soft with him and allowing him to to say these soft things, like that, that's not that's not how it works. Uh, he gets asked tons of tough questions, and his answers to any tough questions are not the satisfying ones that people want to hear. His answers no are literally every every time we get into this argument with people on Twitter, every time. I always ask, so give me a question that you want to hear asked. And people give the questions and I sit back and go, I've heard that question asked. He's answered that question before. Every single one of them. He's answered that question before, except for the whole like, you know, typical like, why are you so terrible kind of like no one's going to ask that question in real life, guys. As I repeated many times on Twitter on Wednesday, uh, this isn't the scene from A Few Good Men. You don't get to one on one you know, uh, shout, I want the truth. And then Clayton shouts, you can't handle the truth. All that kind of like, that's not the way a press conference works. Certainly not a signing day press conference. And like, I'm not trying to diminish it. And we have people all over the place yelling at us about like journalistic integrity and all that kind of stuff. It's like, guys, it's a, it's a head football coach talking about a bunch of 17 year old kids that just signed a piece of paper to go to college, like to play football. It, it, it's it, it's not a few good men. 
it's not a, a hearing on well, Capitol Hill. Well, signed a few good men. That's the other thing is that, the, that well, yeah, they did, <laughs> uh, according to Clay Helton. And and me, these do seem like a few good men. But like the other the other comparison I made is that like on on Twitter is like it's not Capitol Hill. And part of that to me is that it, these aren't you know the fate of the free world is not at stake here. But also on Capitol Hill, when you're having like a hearing or whatever, each representative gets to sit up there and have five minutes where they get to wax poetic. And when they're supposed to be answering asking questions, what they're really doing is just lecturing. That's not the way a press conference works in real life. You, as a media member, you don't get to stand up and lecture Clay Helton about the way he does his job. That's not how it works. So, like, no matter what, people are going to be unhappy. People are going to be unhappy because what they really want is for someone to take Clay Helton to task in front of his face and, you know, somehow let that be a come to Jesus moment for him where he realizes the error of his ways. Again, that's not the way it works. But I'll tell you one thing that does work. Meetups. They're fun, and you can join us on our meetup next week. Boxing Day, December 26th, 6 p.m. at the local eatery and watering hole in downtown San Diego, the night before USC plays Iowa in the Holiday Bowl, again, next Thursday, 6 p.m. on 4th Street right there, downtown San Diego. It'll be a fun time. Uh, Stop by, have a beer with us, and uh, talk about USC football or the like, we'll be there with a bunch of other rap bots. Uh, but that's going to wrap up this, this CarCast episode that we put together here. And uh, yeah, I think we didn't even record 78 minutes of this, which uh, I can't tell if that's good or bad. The saddest thing is that because this is Groundhog's Day, what's going to happen is that 2020 is just going to be 2019 all over again. In the sense that like Clay Helton's going to be on the hot seat next season again. And recruits are going to have reason to be in a holding pattern with USC again. So it's not like the 2020 class you can look at. Sorry, the 2021 class and you can look at it and go like, yeah, USC's way going to rebound into that. Like, I don't I don't know where the rebound comes from unless USC beats Alabama and then, you know, wins a national title. Then things will rebound. I don't know. Dare to dream. You heard it here first. Alicia is promising a Alabama win and a national title. So, there it <laughs> is, is that what I'm doing? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Uh, until then, we will be back together next week to talk about USC and Iowa to preview the Trojans and the Hawkeyes uh, in the Holiday Bowl. Uh, that'll drop on Festivus. It'll be a Festivus for the rest of us. Uh, join us then. Until then, we will see you. At least I got a final word. The final word is serenity. Not as in serenity now, but as in the serenity prayer. Accept the things you cannot change. I don't even know. I don't even understand that reference. Like, what's it from? The serenity prayer? Yeah. Jeez, you live under a rock. The serenity prayer is like the big prayer that they do uh, in the 12 step program. So it's. Uh, God grant me the serenity to, to accept the things I cannot change, uh, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Oh, like, is this what you learned in AA? <laughs> no, no, this is what I learned growing up Catholic. Oh, different kind of guilt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, until then, we will see you. See ya. See ya. See ya. Thank you. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.